For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Finally, do this ad read and say the NBA and college basketball are both back in action. With all these sports going on, there are plenty of bets to lock in. So if you're thinking about picking the Lakers to repeat as NBA champion or someone else to upset Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, you need to go to betonline.ag. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It literally never closes. So as we're going to talk about in today's episode, if you want to place some bets on the Wizards, maybe to win more than 34 games or Russell Westbrook to win MVP, BetOnline.ag is your place to go. So head on over to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all their great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, everybody, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards. Uh, we're going to queue up the season for you and talk about everything that you need to know to, to get ready for Wizards basketball. We're recording this on Wednesday, so realistically, by the time you hear this, they they might already be uh, 1-0 or 0-1. I guess we'll see how that goes. But Larry, just the first thing to start out with here, the news since the last time we talked, a sophomore Rui Hachimura will miss up to three weeks, maybe more, with pink eye. Scott Brooks said he had... Blurred vision and light sensitivity. First of all, I've never heard of that being an injury that keeps an NBA player out for almost a month at this point. But uh, they said they would replace him by committee and mentioned loving Bertans' scoring punch off the bench. So very curious who's in the starting lineup. Is that Anthony Gill? Is that Isak Bonga? I uh, just want to get your thoughts on, on that one. Have you ever heard anything that random to keep somebody out for that long? No, not especially for, you know, what they call essentially is, is pink eye. Um, so there, there may be something else going on there. And I, I know he was surely excited to get out there uh, and, you know, get a good start uh, to the season. And, you know, when you miss the start of the season, man, it, it really does put you behind the eight ball. Uh, but hopefully he can work on his conditioning. And it's not a situation where he has to be idle. But, yeah, that, that's, that's a tough one, you know, especially starting out the season when, you have these new pieces and you want to see how things work together. And now you're missing a huge piece of, of what the Wizards want to do going forward. And that's got to have led to like a stronger infection or something like that. Like, I don't have kids, you know, I don't know about pink eye. My wife is a teacher. You do hear about it from time to time. Like, but, but a month seemed, seemed crazy and, and the blurred vision stuff. So they're being very careful. Uh, he hadn't been in the facility for a while because they worried about it being contagious. So, very strange situation. Uh, again, I, I'm okay with them leaving, uh, you know, Bertans on the bench to give them that little pop. But yeah. what I saw from Anthony Gill during the preseason, again, we talked about, you can't really read too much into that, but I wasn't overwhelmingly impressed. Uh, 
So if it were me, I would probably lean toward Bonga out there, especially against Philly tonight. He's probably a, a better matchup from a defensive standpoint. Any preference on your end there? You know what? I think you have to get started with someone. And then since, you know, since Hachi's going to be out for an extended period, you get a chance to watch the film, man. I mean, you, you do have some, some history on, on Bonga, uh, who, who you did have in the fold last year. But I, I like the word committee. Uh, it keeps everyone on their toes. Uh, we know what the plan is, you know, really going forward. We know how we want to play. We'll, have, we'll see if we can execute that way. But I think the the comment of of by committee is 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 pretty solid. It's pretty solid because Bonga might not be the guy to start, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, you have to go with someone, but he may not be the guy to start. So you may have to move to an Anthony Gill with the same thought process, and you may have to go back to Bonga. So I think it's the, the word committee is is very good, and I think it's a positive in, in this situation. When sometimes it could be uh, looked at as you know being unsure. Obviously, you're unsure because you have a starter out, but uh, just allowing these guys to to know to stay on their toes and know that they have a lot of work to do. I wouldn't be surprised to see them over the next couple of weeks do do some crazy you know combos here. Maybe go big and move Thomas Bryant to the four. Uh, Philly seems likely to start Ben Simmons at sort of like the de facto power forward spot. So, so maybe you can get away with going a little smaller. Uh, Avdia realistically could be a traditional or modern day power forward. I mean, uh, so maybe you see Troy Brown get some minutes out there too. So, so that'll be interesting. Uh, just sort of zooming out here a little bit. I want to walk down, uh, you know, some of the, the expectations for the team and things like that. I think the Vegas odds right now are on the Wizards to win 33 and a half games. So that translates to, I don't know, I guess high 30s in a typical season. Realistically, that's projecting them to go a, a little, I guess, below 500. Larry, would you take the over or the under on that? Right now, I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the under, and I, I think that you know, 33 games is. Is is a good evaluation of, of what the team looks like, what it, what we brought back, kind of the direction of what's going on in the Eastern Conference with the teams, you know, that are that they'll be up against. I think that that's something that they could look at and say, hey, you know, this is motivation for us to be better than that. But for me, I think that that's that's around about right for me. I was thinking about 500 would would have been my guess. You know, a traditional NBA season getting to 40 ish wins. Uh, so I, I would take the slight over, but that does seem like a pretty good number. I'm always amazed by the Vegas guys, like how good they get this stuff. Uh, that 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 seems fair, and I don't think anybody would kind of wildly take over or under based on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of just going through the overall depth chart here, like we've talked about, you've got a lot of point guards on the roster. There are going to be guys that are out of the rotation early to start the season here. Obviously, Russell Westbrook's going to play. So between uh, Raul Neto, Ish Smith, Troy Brown is going to be playing some some de facto point guard, and then Cassius Winston. If you had to pick one of those guys to not see a lot of early season minutes here, uh, I would assume it's Winston. But what do you see in the preseason? I would assume that to be true as well. Uh, although I, you know, I understand that he's a a seasoned guy coming out of college. I think that there's still, you know, that NBA learning curve that you'll have. And especially with the organization having so many point guards, it's not a rush to to throw a guy out there. Um, 
So he's probably going to be that guy that sits to start out. And again, film such as are going to be very important for this group, uh, especially moving forward. And I'm sure he'll get the opportunity to play, but I think he'll be the first guy uh, that'll be the first point guard that'll be out of the rotation. And there may be two guys, you know, maybe two point guards that are not even seeing the floor, uh, especially starting out. Yeah, Brooks threw a couple, you know, three point guard lineups at us in the preseason uh, with with Westbrook, Smith, and Neto. And I wouldn't expect to see much of that this year, but uh, he, he does do some sort of uh, interesting stuff from time to time. But I, I'm with yeah. you. Neto looked really good to me. He, you know, hit shots. He played decent defense, but but Ish looked pretty well, good as well. So maybe the two of them play a little together. Uh, and, and that's what, what it has to be about. I mean, you know, just watching the games and, and how, you know, the, the struggles on the defensive end. And a lot of that has to do with obviously the size and, you know, everyone switching and just being, you know, in a mismatch situation constantly. And to play two guards, two point guards is very tough. You know, the guys of that size. But to try to throw a third guy out there, you know, it, it, it'll get ugly especially when you don't have like other stoppers on the floor, like when the rest of your guys are marginal NBA defenders too, it's hard to kind of make up for that. I think uh, your twos and threes, obviously uh seems like Denny Avdia is going to get some pretty heavy run here. Brad Beal's locked in as the starting two guard, I would hope. Uh, then you've got all kinds of options, I, I guess is one way to put it. You've got Troy Brown again, Garrison Matthews looked pretty good in his one preseason game. I would say, uh, you've got Bonga, Jerome Robinson, you know, again, one, maybe two of these guys aren't going to play much early on. Any any expectation here for who gets some run and who doesn't? Uh, well, I, I think, you know, again, it's like one or two guys are not going to get that much burn. Uh, but again, we're in this unknown, uncharted territory with, with the virus and things like that. So you really don't know, like, what's going to happen. So just having enough bodies that can step in. But, yeah, the way this team is set up, you'll have two of those lead guards, that one and two spot. You'll have two of those those guys not really seeing much action. And it's a tough call with Jerome Robinson. I know he's had some a little bit of success. I think that he has a, a good understanding of the, of the overall NBA game. Mm-hmm. But you just want to see what he's actually going to bring to the table. Is, it, is he going to be a scoring point guard? Is he going to be a facilitator? Uh, is he going to be a defensive guy? So I think that that's something that you got to take a look at from a young guy to see how he can contribute to the game. I've never seen a guy that misses short as much as Jerome Robinson misses short. Almost every one of his misses is like, it's not even hitting front rim. It's off the front of the rim. Uh, it, it seems like that should be something pretty easy to work on with the guy. Like, it's always front. Like, I mean, somebody would have to do the the statistical breakdown there, but is that just not playing much at the NBA level and still, you know, struggling to transition to the longer line or having to shoot from further away. Like what have you ever seen somebody like that? Yeah. And I think it's, it's a matter of changing your, you know, your, um, your target, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, some guys are back of the rim guys, some, some guys are a couple inches below the back of the net, you know, mm-hmm. where the big loops are on, on the rim. And I think if you're if you're shooting short, but you're on target, then you have to change, you know, what you're actually shooting at. And that happens over the summertime. That cannot happen during competition or during the mm-hmm. season. There's just too much play. 
But yeah, I have. I mean, my son was like that for a little while uh, as he, you know, is growing into his body to understand kind of how his body works and his mechanics. He was shooting a lot of shots short. He was getting a lot of arc on his shots, but he was still shooting shots short. So what we did was just simply change what his target spot was and it, it helped him out. So that may be something that Jerome can use. I mean, he was like a, you know, a certified bucket getter at the college level. Like he was almost unguardable at Boston College. And I wouldn't say he was like a knockdown shooter, but he made a lot of shots. And he did that for like a little bit in the bubble. And now it's just sort of back to the same thing. And there's a lot of like off his back foot kind of stuff. I know you said you can't really change that in season, but they seem like things that would be tweaks that these guys could work on with him. Like it's the same thing every time. It's really frustrating because he's been a decent defender. He's scrappy. Uh, you know, if, if he's making shots, he, he becomes a, a valuable contributor for them. Yeah, well, that's the thing is you can tweak shot, you can tweak your shot to make shots, but how consistent can you be with making that tweak and also making the shot? Sure. And that's why I say some of that some of that comes, you know, in the off season in the summertime, where you just get a number of reps and that muscle memory is is really locked in. A lot of times you get in the battle now and you're going to revert back to all the other things that made him successful, which aren't necessarily making him successful now. And you kind of get a clash of, of what you should or shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't be doing to actually be successful. Yeah, you don't want to be thinking about it too much out there every time you go to shoot and, and have to, to get into that. Circling back around to, to Denny off the, uh, what's a realistic stat line for, for Denny this year? Uh, you know, let's assume he starts more than he doesn't but gets like reasonable run somewhere in the twenties. Uh, any, any projections based on what you've seen there? Well, I think he's a guy again, of not knowing how the situation is going to play. I think he's going to get good playing time. I think mm-hmm. he'll get a good amount of playing time and a guy that can shoot the ball. Uh, like he shoots it. You know, I got him anywhere from eight to 12 points a night and five to six rebounds. I was literally going to say 10 and 5. So <laughs> we're in the same ballpark yeah. there. Uh, the big one for and, him is the three point percentage, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's going to, you know, that's obviously going to help him in certain nights of if he catches mm-hmm. a rhythm, if he gets the wide open shot, obviously kind of boost that, that point, that, that points uh, per game up. But he's a, I mean, he's a quality guy. He's a quality guy with minutes and playing off of, of his teammates. Uh, you got two guys on the wing. You got Thomas Bryan in the inside. I think he can get some some good open looks and, you know, be effective to help out. Especially if you're going to stagger uh, Westbrook and Beal a decent amount. Like he's another guy that could move the ball around for you a little bit and, and create some good looks for people. So I just think he fits. Uh, again, the, the three-point shooting was the question coming in. It looked good to me so far. So hopefully hopefully that's the case over over a long NBA season too. There, who's the third leading scorer on this team? I mean, the, probably the realistic candidates are, are Bertans, Bryant, and, and Hatchamore, I would say. Uh, but if you had to pick one of those three guys or, or someone else, um, who would you go with? I think Hatchamore should be the third scorer, the third guy. I, I, I think he should. I think he should get what's available to him on, you know, in the regular sets of the offense. And then I think he has the ability to, to crash the boards on the offensive end. Um, to rebound and get putbacks and play off of those guys without necessarily needing the basketball on the block, on the wing to score. So not necessarily a garbage guy, but an effective guy that can, you know, make things happen for himself. And when you have two ball dominant guards, 
Like that's the sort of body type that you need to to be that third guy. Again, the the preseason sort of doesn't tell you a whole lot all the time, but I loved sort of the way he played that game. You know, took a smaller guy in the post, he pulled a bigger guy outside. If that sticks, I see that being you know the the logical uh, third scorer candidate, but. You know, if he kind of reverts back to that, like, 15-footer, every-time guy, I, I just see him getting everybody's way. So, so that would be kind of tough. You know what? I, I don't think uh, Westbrook is going for that. Yeah. I think he's a guy that, that motivates his teammates, gets them the battery that they need to play extremely hard. And I think that that's going to help those guys out with having him, you know, in the fold, like we mm-hmm. talked about before, just upping that intensity. And when you got a guy that can tend to float, or not be as aggressive as they, as they should be, you need a guy like that that can step in and not care, you know, about somebody's feelings, but just really care about the basketball game. So I think Russ is going to help help Hachi out a, a lot because it's going to motivate him to play harder. Yeah, a lot of the videos from practice are him taking one guy by the jersey and leading him to a different spot on the court and then taking another guy, you know, and sort of like walking people through and yeah, I think you, you nailed it. Like he's he's gonna have to be the one that's like, nah, Rui, that that's not what you do when we're all on the court, uh, and and that'll be big. I, I would agree with you. I think he probably makes the most sense. They're gonna give him a lot of opportunities, but I would imagine those other two guys are pretty darn close. And on any given night, you know, if he if he's the third leading scorer, I would imagine it's probably by a marginal amount. Brian's probably in the. 13, 14 range. Bertans is probably in that kind of range too. And, and maybe Hatchmore is a 15 kind of guy. But yeah, I, I think they need him to take a jump to be better than that 33 and a half wins. And, and I think it matters too on how they use Bertans and, and mm-hmm. just what, what the thought process is around him as a player, right? I mean, and what they're trying to get accomplished doing that starting five. I mean, do you want to have a cushion? Or do you want to bring a guy in off the bench with scoring power? Mm-hmm. And if he's a guy that's inserted into that starting lineup, he's going to score points. Yeah. So it's just a matter of, of how they how they want to use him because he can definitely you know be that third scorer for sure. If you had to pick one of sort of the lesser known guys on the team that we haven't really talked as much about so far that that had a break, I won't say breakout in terms of like you know really blows up, but but somebody that was sort of a surprise contributor or more important to this team than I think people would expect. Is there anybody that, that sort of stands out in your mind there? You know, not, not that we've not necessarily talked about. I think you have the two, which I, I would say three. I would say three. Uh, Troy Brown, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've mentioned his name a few times, kind of just figured out if he's going to be that, that Swiss Army knife, you know, that, that the team needs of a ball handler or a defensive stopper. Uh, but also a guy that can rebound and and, and push the basketball. Uh, And then Thomas Bryant, who I think is going to play well off of two guys that are ball dominant Mm -hmm. and two guys that can make sure that he is in the spots that he's supposed to be on the offensive end. And then I think that that third sleeper, not really sure on what the role will be and not necessarily win any NBA sort of awards, but maybe a team, you know, award, would be a Robin Lopez. I mean, we have to figure out what's the added value that he's going to bring to the table, uh, whether it be as a as a rim protector or whether it's a rotation guy uh, and rebounder. 
I think that that's going to be a huge piece on to, to tell the story of how these guys do uh, with the guys, you know, that, that I just named. I mean, they're going to need a serviceable second big and, and there's some big dudes in the Eastern conference. So he's going to have to play minutes for them. And if he's the defensive stopper of the bigs, like he's going to actually have to do that. And and after that first preseason game, I, I was like, all right, we got to get this guy out of town. He's never going to contribute. He looks, you know, glacially slow, but he sort of picked it up over the, the course of the preseason. So uh, if he looks like, uh, you know, Chicago Robin Lopez, I think we're in pretty good shape. If it's uh, Milwaukee Robin Lopez, that that's going to worry me a little bit. Yeah, in that first preseason game, they were awful on defense. <laughs> right. They were awful on defense. And I was happy to see Russ in practice. I think he was mic'd up one day. Mm-hmm. You know, just talking about, look, this is not going to – this is not how it's going to be. Like, we're not going to switch and we're not going to get buried underneath or – we're not going to easy switch and allow the guy to get an easy jumper. Like, because if the mentality of going out and trying to score the basketball is, is going to be what they re- put their hat on, that it's, it's not going to be good. It's, it's not going to be good. So hopefully, you know, a guy like that can be a standout for his team and not necessarily worry about, you know, how the NBA sees them, if there's any sort of NBA awards. But if you can get a team award, being real effective and, and bringing real value to your team. I think that that's what they brought you there for. I'm trying to think back on the teams you played on Larry. Like some of them, I think were pretty fast for the time. Like none of them were as fast as the team today play, but can you talk a little bit about how much easier it is to run off a miss than it is a make and like playing, how much playing good defense enables you to play better offense? Yeah, it, it has a lot to do with, with just that. I mean, playing good defense, you're in, you're, you're in good spacing. You're usually covering the spots on the on the floor that are considered, you know, from your defensive standpoint or now your, your offensive lanes. So if you maintain those defensive principles, those defensive lanes, and you can rebound the basketball that turns into that quick transition, if you play solid defense, you're already in those lanes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just that quicker transition of being more efficient where you can get that ball and go. Now, if you're playing bad defense and everybody's now, you know, below the free throw line, then it's a walk down situation uh, when, you know, whether make or miss. But I think if, if you're, if you, if you want to be successful on the offensive end, you have to get stops. And even obviously the good teams, they run on, on makes or misses, but it starts with getting stops because I watched that the, the first preseason game, I believe it was, and they weren't getting any stops, and their body language was so bad yeah. that you could have just sounded the horn and just ended the game. Because yeah. if I'm watching as a scout, if I'm watching a game, I'm like, this team is going to play as well as they play defense. And it looks to me that they're not interested in playing defense. So nobody's going to have any fun this year. And, you know, that's kind of how I look at it as far as from going from offense to defense is that, you got to be in good defensive position to now rebound the basketball to quickly turn that thing into offensive uh, transition. I know NBA basketball is a lot more complicated when you get into it than like fans like to think. And there's a lot of things that go into to where you need to be when. And But the other day, Scott Brooks talked about how, you know, defensive guru, assistant coach, Mike Longabardi has all these new different schemes they're going to install this year. And all I wanted to say is like, 
here's a scheme for you. Play harder. Like actually make, you know, take some pride and, and some accountability in the way you play defense. Like I, I don't, I mean, maybe it's the scheme or or whatever, but to me, it just looks like an effort and an interest level thing most nights. Well, it is, man. It is. And it's a, a all involved, a all in, you know, everybody's moving, everybody's rotating. Just so many things go into playing defense. I mean, you can't allow your offensive end to affect what you do on the defensive end. Everybody will say that they're focused on defense, but it's those teams that really focus on defense that are successful because it just kills and demoralizes the offensive team when they get stops. And that's when I talk about, like, bad body language. Bad body language is not happening because the other team is allowing you to do everything you want to do. Bad body language is because they're doing they're doing things to stop you from allowing you to do things that you want to do. And so if you're having bad body language on offense, it's always said that that makes it back to the defensive end. And if you watch film, you watch tape, whether you're a defensive guru, whether you're a scout, whether you're a coach, like you can tell when there's bad body language on defense, the interest to play, excuse me, bad body language on offense, the interest to play defense is, is like not even there. And that's, that, that's what I saw. I saw that with Brad a lot last year too. Like of any, you know, I'm going to say star player in air quotes here. Like he didn't make an all-star team, but he's a star player. Like he gets less calls on stuff than, than most of his peers, I would say. So there were so many times where he didn't get a call and then stood there and argued while they went five on four the other way. Thomas Bryant does that a lot. Like he's a very emotional player and, and, and you see that and just, I obviously want to watch like fun basketball, but it's infuriating to me to watch stuff like that. Yeah, no, they'll have to stop. I mean, that's one of the things is that, like, like if one person does it, then everyone will, will kind of have their turn to do it. And then that's just put your, put your team at a disadvantage. And you got to start with your main guys. And Brad is included in that. Like, you gotta you got to be mindful of your body language. Even though it may last for a split second, it may last for a few seconds, it's still – a function of being engaged in the other parts of the game. And we've all been guilty of, we've all been a victim of arguing a call that's never going to change. And when you talk about a team that's trying to, to turn the page, like we have to, we have to be smarter than that. And we, we have to be smarter. I would just imagine it probably has more impact than an official. If you go up to them on a dead ball and say, Hey, this guy's tugging on me or, that guy's pushing off or something like that than throwing your palms up in the middle of the other team racing down the court. Like I just, I get the frustration thing, but just from a what's more effective standpoint, I can't imagine any official ever thinks like, Hmm, maybe I blew that. Now let me race down the floor. Yeah. And when you're on a bad team, like all of those things stand out, mm-hmm. right? Players are on good teams and, and have a, you know, some sort of culture that's built, you know, and have a style like, they get away with that in, in little bits and pieces. But when you're struggling and you're trying to turn a page, like, you know, I mean, you you got to almost do everything right to yeah. even give yourself a chance to, to win. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that that's, you know, that's a little, a little part of it, of things that can change that you can look at and say, oh, I can change that to see if, if we then have a different outcome, you know, either through the overall game or just talking about possession by possession to see if we have better body language, we're all engaged, if that affects, you know, what we do 
during the course of different possessions. That makes sense. We're circling back to Robin Lopez here for a second, you know, the will he look good or will he, you know, will he look kind of like he did in the first preseason game? Uh, just as a hypothetical, if he doesn't play well, he is kind of on the downslope of his career here. As, can he still have that sort of impact as a veteran? Like as a player, do you listen to a guy if he can't still produce or contribute? Like it always just seems like maybe guys get more tuned out if they weren't, uh, if they aren't also able to still bring it on the court. I think if you're in a winning situation, if you're in a winning environment, mm-hmm. because players that are in a winning environment sometimes uh, focus more on what you can do to help the team win. Okay. And players that are in losing environments are more focused on themselves. So if if you if those guys aren't winning and he's not playing well, you know, I, I don't really see the young guys listening to what he's trying to say or, or, or trying to give them tips so they can execute better. So it completely depends on the environment that you're in and the age of the guys that you're trying to, you know, that you're trying to help and push, you know, and push it and push along. I think that that factors in as well. But if you are – and then it's behind the scenes. It's like, mm-hmm. what is this guy doing in practice, right? I mean, he may not be killing it in the games, but in practice, like, we know that he's always in the right spot. Like, he gets his work done. So it's a balance of the information that I, that I can take from you because I know that you have an idea of how to execute. It just may not be in the games. So I think that there's a lot that goes into how these players – you know, interact with each other. But the most important piece of that is if a guy's producing on, on the court and in the games and has a history of producing, then it's easier to to lead in the locker room. It's easier to have those conversations because all players always look at a guy's track record and they're going to check you out. They're going to do their, their homework. And if you're not someone that they feel that they feel that they can benefit from, you know, that you have some, some, talent or some skill that they can benefit from, then you're not going to be as effective as if, if you did have that. You know, some of the vets they've had over the last couple of years were guys that were like bottom third level NBA players and stuff. And I always just kind of wondered about how effectual, you know, you can be if, if, if guys are looking, you're like, man, I'm better than you were old man. Like, it, it just seems like you, you might get tuned out. And, and I think you had a really good point about like, just sort of what you know, again, I hate the word culture because it just sort of doesn't really mean anything. But like, well, your organization's like, you look at like Adonis Haslam, he's hasn't really produced on the court in four or five years. But for the Heat, that works. If you threw him on the Knicks, I could just see those guys being like, all right, shut up, old man. Like, we don't, we're not listening to you. And then that's good. That's then you talk about the culture. And that's when the culture really, really matters because somebody can go and check his, check his track record of how he comes to work championship rings under his belt it's there so even though he's not playing every night or playing every Never. year <laughs> he, he still adds value because he comes from that winning space and anytime you bring a player into that Miami Heat you know organization he has the culture book he mm-hmm. has it so those guys no matter what he did the last four or five years if you don't pass his test, then you're probably not gonna probably not gonna play that much. I think that gets tougher in like today's NBA too, because a lot of these guys aren't sort of in one place that long and don't have that track record. So uh, I was just sort of curious about that because you have heard every one of these young guys say so far, like 
Robin Lopez is taking us aside and doing all these things. So that's definitely interesting. All right. I want to get a little bit into NBA regular season awards here, and I'm just going to run through all of them. Uh, Some of them are less realistic than others, but just MVP. Like I don't see anyone on this team winning an MVP, but do you see any situation where Russ or Brad can play well enough to even get like a couple votes or to finish in like the top five to 10 of NBA uh, MVP voting? Well, I think with the threat of the triple double, which, you know, Russ coming back healthy again, he's going to, if he's even close to that, I think he's, you know, in the five, you know, in the top five, Mm -hmm. just because of his, his, his history and he's done it before. I would say that he, is prob- he probably has the best shot. And I think a lot of winning is going to – is the only thing that's going to help Brad get into the – I guess the, the good graces of the NBA is for them to do a lot of winning. But the, the, the stat line of, of Russ and his ability to almost average a triple-double would have him in the, you know, in the top five. Yeah, I think so too. And, and you know, you can – we talked about this before when, when he, when they made the trade, but you can pick at the rebounds a little bit maybe, but it's just hard to like fake assists, you know, like if if he's going to be close to leading the league in assists or, you know, can get 10 assists or something on a team that goes from not a playoff team to a six, seven seed. Like I got to imagine, you know, as much as the NBA likes a good storyline, that would at least kind of get his name thrown out there when the conversation comes up. I mean, with a guy like that, man, it plays so hard. It kind of marches to his own beat. You know, eyes are always on him. So when he does things that are special, they're going to talk about him. Right? I think they they will talk about him. So he's the guy that's coming into the Eastern Conference. He's going to put tremendous pressure on the opposing guards. A little bit different setup as far as to the out-of-conference play this year. And I mean, he just puts so much pressure on, on, on the defense that he's going to get, you know, two, three, four assists just from guys getting actual layups mm-hmm. because he's putting so much pressure on the defense. And then you mix in, you know, Bertans, uh, a Brad Beal, you know what I mean? The way those guys shoot the ball and you got some assists there. For sure. Brad or Russ, do you think either of them can win a scoring title uh, this year? Brad got pretty darn close last year on a bad team with no real starting caliber point guard. That that would be my bet. Brad can for sure. Brad can for sure. With giving up some of the ball handling responsibilities to have a you know more you know have fresher legs you know in certain parts of the season, the way he shoots the basketball, the way he's starting to handle the basketball now. Obviously, the number of possessions, the amount of pressure that they'll put on the defense, how fast Russ plays may give them four or five, six more possessions a game. So my my vote would be Brad for sure. I mean, even outside of, you know, outside of the Wizards team is he could actually win a scoring title. And, you know, you look at James Harden, who's probably the main competition for that. And and who knows what's happening there. If he ends up somewhere like Brooklyn, he's not putting up 36 a game again. Like I just don't see any way that keeps up. And and even, you know, honestly, if he's in Houston again, I just don't know that they're going to play a way or style that allows him to score close to, to 40 anymore. Exactly. Exactly. They're coming into a different coaching style, a different thought process. Obviously, the NBA is built around scoring points, but just, you know, the Mike D'Antoni system is, is going to be different than uh, size of the system for sure. 
All NBA. I, I mean, I think both, you know, Russ made it last year and you could maybe question the, his position on the third team there, but Brad, you know, notoriously gets left out of those things all the time. You hit on it a couple minutes ago, I think. Just they're going to get more time on Sports Center and things like that because of Westbrook. And if they're a little bit better, it, it'll be hard to keep Brad, if not both of them, off a list like that next year, I would think. I, I would think so, man. I, I think so. Obviously, they don't have – do they have any national televised games? I don't think it may no, be one. Not for the first half. Not for the first half. So that's going to be tough, obviously. But they'll get a chance to, to you know, like you said, be on Sports Center and get highlights and get – you know, it's that attention and get that ball of energy going behind them. And can't leave Brad off again, man. Can't, can't, can't leave Brad off again. I'd be willing to sacrifice Russ to get Brad on uh, just because of the, the work that he's been putting in. And I expect he'll put in the same amount of work. And to have two guys on, you know, not knowing if this is going to be a winning team, you know, making an all-NBA team, I think that's probably not going to happen. So one of those guys is going to have to put up crazy numbers uh, in a in a below 500 situation, and I think that would have to be Brad. I also just think, like, Russ seems really focused on the I'm a better teammate than I get credit for, you know, approach so far. And, and that, to me, makes it feel like Brad will be the one to benefit from that maybe more than, than Russ would. Anybody on this team you think that can win a, a, a most improved player award? I'd say Thomas Bryan on that one. Because I think, I think what's going to help him out is having two ball handlers out there on the court that are attacking from, you know, not only the, the top of the floor, but also the wings. And it'll give him some opportunity to step in and, you know, work around the basket, but also, you know, start to shoot that little 15 to 7-foot jump shot that we've seen him shoot in, in workouts. But he's a guy that has great intensity, leveled up a little bit. I thought – Early on, the first game or so in the bubble, I thought that he was just clogging up and taking up too much space. Mm-hmm. And, and that could be just a function of the team that he was, was playing on and what he thought he needed to do in order to be successful. But as the bubble went on and then watching the preseason games, he knows how to play. He knows how to get out of the space. He knows how to attack from the dunker. Uh, and he's a, a guy that I look to to take a jump this year. So he would be the guy for me that, uh, could win a, a most improved. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I actually wrote an article before last season that said Thomas Bryant was the guy last year that had the biggest shot at it on the Wizards team. Just like you said, if if you're always beating your man down floor and, and things like that, I, I just thought that would translate a little more on the defensive side. It looks like that's starting to finally come around. You know, maybe being banged up a little bit last year hurt that too, but I would say maybe Bertans has like a outside puncher's chance at something like that. Although if, if there were an award, I, I think Bertans would be in the mix for, if he shoots 10 threes a game at 40%, you know, I think he shot like eight, eight and a half last year. If that goes up a couple more and the percentage stays good, I don't see any reason why Bertans isn't in the mix for sixth man of the year at the end of the year. Do you think he's got a shot there, Larry? Uh, I could see that. I could see that. And I think when you, it has to be a situation where they're going to win some games and compete. Because you can have these guys play at a nice level and not have the wins to support it. But if there's any sort of like, hey, we're, we're tracking in the right direction, mm-hmm. I think it's, it, it's more – you can expect to get those votes more, you know, especially on, on, from the national scene and with, with the NBA and the writers. 
is that if you're tracking in the right direction and you're putting up those kind of numbers that you're capable of doing, then that gives you a pretty good chance of having your name, you know, in the hat. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, great basketball players in the NBA. So when you talk about like being in that list of five, it takes special players and it, it takes certain situations. But I think Bertans is a guy that if he's able to play at that level of making shots and obviously with signing a new deal, he's going to get more opportunities because we got to see, we got to, we got to make you earn some of that paper, you know, so he'll have more opportunities to, to be successful. And I think that that should, should help him, you know, like he said, making that, that six man uh, list for sure. You know, the top three guys for that last year, Montrez Harrell, who ended up winning it, put up like 19 and seven. I don't see Berton's putting up those kind of numbers, but if you can look past the numbers in terms of impact, I think what yeah. Berton's does stretching the floor, get you there. But Harrell might start a decent amount this year in LA. Uh, Lou Williams has got to slow down at some point, I would think. And, and Dennis Schroeder seems like he's probably going to start for the Lakers. So you've kind of cleared out most of the guys that have been in, in that position. Uh, so I'd love to see that. Cause that, that means he's like, you said, earning that contract. That would be a good one. Uh, the next there, one there, on there are a couple the, guys, there are a couple guys in, in Brooklyn that he may have to go up against, but that's true. You know, you definitely have a shot when you talk about coming off that bench, mm-hmm. especially off of a new deal and getting your opportunities to, to make those plays, to make those shots, to impact the game. And that's what's going to get you, you know, those awards and how well you just said it, how much and how well you impact the game. All I talk about is like his ability at his height to hit like these tough shots and how you can shoot from anywhere inside half court. And it's like, I'd actually like to see him get a few easier shots this year. Like, it's great that he can do that, but uh, I think that's going to be the biggest difference for him is like now he might have a few more open looks. Uh, But yeah, Karis LeVert looked really good last night and uh, he's going to have the ultimate green light off the, the Brooklyn bench. All right, this next one here, it pains me to even ask it, so I'm just going to throw it out really quickly. We can laugh and then move on, but anyone on this Wizards roster you think can win Defensive Player of the Year? I think if anyone needs to win, it's going to be Thomas Bryant. Yeah. It, Thomas Bryant, we, we just talk about just the amount of switches that go on and you know how unsuccessful they've been on the defensive end. It's going to take one of those guys with his, his type of motor, his sort of skill set, he is a guy that can can switch, do his best to keep a point guard out of the lane as, as best as all the biggest can. Yeah. But he's a guy for me when I watch him play the game of basketball and I watch him on the offensive end and, and have, you know, that sort of intensity that he has on the offensive end. He's a guy for sure that if he wanted to to lock in on the defensive end and obviously having a team around him, because it's tough to, to guard anybody one on one, but just having a team around him that has his back. He's a guy with enough size and a, and a good enough motor that he could be a guy that we would say, you know, let's talk about defensive player of the year. I don't think he like will ever have the lateral quickness to, to be that. But if you're a guy that plays that hard and if you know where to be on offense, you should know presumably where to be on defense. And I got to think just as a big, you know, the last line of defense kind of thing, like positioning is just as much as as side to side mobility. Yeah, and, and rebounds go into that as well, yeah. right? I mean, we talk about the defensive player of the year. Like, there's a you know function of them playing defense on an individual or you know being, but there's also the rebounding factor on the defensive end that plays a part in the defensive player of the year. And 
for a guy that, you know, if you struggle in one area, say it's lateral quickness, for, 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 for example, then you better be a hell of a defensive rebound and go and get every defensive rebound you can, and that'll keep you in the mix. So there's ways to do it, right? There's, there's ways to do it and, and, and play the game you know, on the defensive side of the ball. But it, it, if you don't have a motor, you don't have a chance, and he has the motor, so I give him a fighting chance. I like it. Uh, rookie of the year. It's probably not going to be Cassius Winston, I wouldn't imagine. Uh, you think Denny Avdia has any shot at an award like that? Uh, it, does he have a shot? I mean, I don't think he's going to get enough action to to put up those sort of numbers that – I mean, a, a James Wiseman is a guy that's on a bad team and has a, a ton of ability. So if you go down the list of those guys and went high in the draft, you know, and look at what teams that they're on, if you win and you win in the ninth, you know, you win ninth, you're going to give yourself a good chance. Yeah. But winning is going to be involved in that. It's not just going to be on, you know, individual stats because I think other guys will have better individual stats. But they do, I mean, you do take into account that he went, you know, ninth. And if, you know, those other guys that were above board are on terrible teams where they're putting up some numbers – you give yourself a shot, and that's, that's that's really all you can ask for. Yeah, I mean, Kendrick Nunn got himself into the mix. I mean, he had good stats, too, but he was a good player on a, on a very good team, and, and that definitely – I could see Denny being like a first-team all-rookie. Like, that wouldn't surprise me. But the way Wiseman looked last night and the amount of touches he's going to get and the rebounds he's going to get, and then just watching, like, LaMelo Ball even come off the bench in preseason, like, I think the usage is going to be ridiculous. So – I don't think he can win it uh, unless he has like a monster year. But uh, if he's first team all rookie, I, I think that means the Wizards were probably pretty successful. And I, I think he can be there. I, I do think he can be there. All right. This one is, is the point. <laughs> is the question is going to make like half the people listening to this, like chuck their phone across the room. But uh, coach of the year, can Scott Brooks win a coach of the year with this team? You got to win, baby. I mean, you have to win. I mean, you're reunited with a former player, which gives you an incredible boost. We talk about, like, the the Vegas odds, but, like, we don't know. Like, we don't know what kind of rocket that Westbrook is going to shoot out to be, you know, especially to start the season out. We didn't have any sort of expectations. kind of wanted to see if John would have stayed around, like, what sort of team was going to hit the floor but you talk about a coach that, that's getting one of his favorite players back into the mix. You have one of the top players in the NBA in Brad Beal. Uh, you have a good city that's going to come out and support whenever they can. And hopefully, like we said earlier, you don't have any uh, national games in the first part. And maybe you can win enough games to get a couple games in the second part of the season and see what happens. But I think if anything, you got – you know, one of your former guys coming back to give you that crazy energy boost. And for a coach and talking coach of the year, anything's possible. Russ came out, I want to say last week at this point and said, wow, Scott Brooks has really grown as a coach since he was, you know, my coach in Oklahoma city and, and sort of the, the fan base reaction to that was, it was not particularly kind. So uh, if, if they win, it probably means Brooks gets an extension. And, you know, I think there are plenty of people that might actually be ready to sacrifice some wins to, to see, to see Brooks turn over. I think he's a decent guy. And if players like him enough and they're going to play hard for him this year, then 
then hey, I'll, I'll, I'm I'm okay if he stays for as long as possible because that means we're winning. But uh, if if they're in the play-in tournament as a nine seed at the end of the year or something like that, I just that wouldn't be my guy. I would suggest you you re up for a, a couple year extension with just personal preference. Well, I, I think it's it's good coaches have to come either with good draft picks or good free agents. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the nature of it is, is having a good coach is really uh, based on what the, the, the real talent is mm-hmm. that you have out there on the court. Bringing in a defensive guru and somebody that's going to help you on the defensive end is obviously something that could help you keep your job. So we'll, we'll have to see how, you know, how the defense is played really for me. And that, that'll tell the story on who should be leading this, this group. I mean, it either you have to do a complete overhaul or you got to start bringing in pieces that can support uh, what the coach is trying to do and what the organization is trying to do. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you here. Uh, all right, last one. Do either Bradley Beal or Russell Westbrook retire as Wizards? This is sort of longer than this season's outlook, but just curious what you think here. Uh, that is a, that's a, that's a really good question. I, you know what? I think, um, I think the organization is committed to a process of, of winning games is, will that result in a, in a championship? I'm not sure. I would assume that these guys both have aspirations to be a champion and with so much money out, the ability to move around is easier. So I, I would say that, that, it's a great chance that they don't retire Wizards. When I say that, I don't mean like the, hey, this guy played four games off the bench as a 40-year-old veteran for the Lakers, you know, to chase a title or whatever. But just like like the way you looked at it is like, where do they spend the the end of sort of the prime of their careers? I actually think Westbrook probably has a better shot of doing that than Beal does, unfortunately. I hope I'm wrong there, but given his age and his commitment contract-wise – that just seems more likely to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. I agree with that. And also having, you know, Brooks as a coach and figuring out what's that going to look like. Mm-hmm. Because I think that if, again, a, a guy of his stature, you're making another coaching change, I think he's going to have the right to have a sit-down conversation to see if that's the best place, if that makes sense for him as well. All right. The one I think everybody is most interested in in the near term do the Wizards win their first game against the Philadelphia 76ers? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think that they, they still have those issues on the defensive end, and I think Philadelphia is going to challenge those uh, principles at a, at a very high level. And I think that there's just some, some more work to do, you know, in, in film study and really identifying roles and responsibilities uh, starting out the season that, I think the Wizards would take the first couple of weeks of the season to really lock down on what they're doing, but I don't think they win the first game. I agree with everything you just said, and I just think it would be like a really funny Wizards thing to come out hot tonight somehow and win the game and get everybody all fired up and then lose like the next three. So I'm going to say they win this one just, just because that seems like the most, uh, the most DC thing that could happen. Yeah, we, we don't want to win this one and then lose the next 10. So we got <laughs> exactly. to sacrifice something. I, I would be very okay throwing this one out to figure some things out if it worked out in the long run for sure. All right, just pivoting away from, from this year's team for a minute, I, I want to turn the clock back a little bit here, Larry. Former Washington Post reporter, while actually while you were there, Mike Wise came out the other day or a couple weeks ago at this point and said that, first of all, the problem I have with this is 
it seems a little tacky to me maybe, but uh, he came out and said that now that Wes Unseld is no longer with us, he can share some of their private conversations that he wasn't able to while Wes was alive, which I don't remember the unit in journalism school where just because someone's dead, you can now share all their stuff, but uh, maybe I'll sick that day. But he said Wes told him that when MJ was finishing his wizard run, not a single player was willing to pitch in for a retirement gift for MJ because he made the locker room so toxic. I mean, you've spoken highly about your time with MJ, you know, Jared Jeffrey still fishes with the guy. Like I, I can't imagine that there weren't a few people on the team that actually liked their MJ experience overall. So uh, not to disparage Mr. Unseld, who's no longer with us, but that doesn't seem to track with me. Like I, I could see it as, Hey, if no one else is pitching in on a gift, I'm not going to pitch in for a gift, but I, I don't buy the, we all hated MJ so much. We wouldn't buy him a box of cigars or something. Can you, can you set the record straight here on this one? Or do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, no, I heard like little rumblings of that, but I don't think it was ever a situation where they came to each player and, and said, mm. Hey, we want to get this gift for MJ, mm. you know, during his retirement, you know, would you guys pitch in or, you know, put something up there to say, okay, we want to pitch in to, to buy this for MJ. We never had that conversation. I mean, and and again, these are guys, you know, on this team that are not uh, on their second deals, on their third deals. Uh, These are guys that are fairly young players that are, the money is not, you know, in in the the millions, like we would expect a professional basketball team that everybody's running around with millions and millions of dollars. So I will lay that out. There's like, we were, Jared Jeffries was just coming in. Britton Haywood was just coming in. Etan Thomas. I mean, all these guys, Juan Dixon, uh, Steve Blake, like all of these guys were were young, you know, younger guys coming in. And they had a little bit of play in, in, into that. But we had no issues with that. I personally had no issues with MJ. And I don't think I can say we, and I think that speaks for everybody, that we didn't have an issue with MJ. So when that all came out, we had conversations about who was it? Like mm-hmm. who, who made a comment about MJ or like who had a problem with MJ? Because everybody's looking around. It's like, it's not me. Yeah. And I think it's just one of those things where, you know, he was the older guy, you know, playing on a, a, on a younger team and just looking for something to, to have a conversation about is really what I took out of that. And he did have some issues with with uh, Stackhouse, mm-hmm. but they weren't anything that the team had anything to do with. Like it was a it was a North Carolina sort of issue that those guys had. It wasn't necessarily a real personal issue. It was more just about competition between the lines. Mm-hmm. So you know, we you bring up MJ's name. I mean, it just brings up you know just different comments. But I did hear uh, just rumblings of. The guys, like, we didn't like MJ or we was ready for him to go. But I don't think any of that was true, especially wasn't uh, true from my perspective as far as, you know, being his teammate. And I actually asked MJ or told him, like, I don't know what was said or what's going but I don't have anything to do with that. Yeah. And that's really where we, you know, where we left it. Yeah, I mean, you, you, like you said, you heard the stack house, like, nah, man, like, I, I should have been the guy on offense. Like, I was, you know – Maybe uh, Brian Russell's sick of getting punked in practice or, or, or whatever it is. But yeah, I just, I can't picture Wes like walking around, you know, with like a, a cup out being like, Hey, can you throw a couple of bucks in for MJ? And 
I also figured the, hey, he and Abe Poland aren't on great terms thing played a lot into that. And that's what it was. That's what it was. I, I believe, and again, this is history, right? So it takes things to jog the memory. But that's what it was. It was like the expectation that the organization was going to do something big for MJ. Mm -hmm. Like they were going to buy him a gift. Like he was doing this, this, this tour and, you know, everyone was giving him, you know, these sort of gifts that were coming from the different organizations that we played in Miami retired his Jersey. Mm -hmm. Someone else did, uh, I think cigars, but someone, I think the wizards may have did a, like a rocking chair. Somebody did a rocking chair. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was the deal is that, as young players, you know, on an NBA team, you're talking about MJ, who we know is rich. Like, what do you buy a person right. on his way out that's obviously that you look up to? So I think for us, it was more of was wondering why the organization didn't buy this crazy gift for MJ to send him home. And that, I think that that was part of it as well. Well, you know, he brought half of you guys in too and, and had like kind of a tough exit. So do you really want to signal to ownership that like you're an MJ guy if you're trying to get your next contract and things like that? I just imagine there was so much more into it that because everybody didn't contribute to a box of Cuban cigars doesn't mean like we all suddenly hate the guy. But that's how it was taken online. So thank you for uh, for setting the record straight there. All right. I, that's all I had for you, Larry. I think this is going to be obviously our, our last uh, last show before the Christmas break here. So I just want to say thank you for, uh, for being uh, the ideal teammate here and wish you and your family a happy holidays and, and all our listeners the same. Yeah. You same to you, Matt. Uh, happy holidays to you, your family and your, your, your little cats at, at home as well. Uh, just praying that you have a happy holidays and those of our listeners uh, and the fans of DC and the Washington wizards as well. Very cool. Yeah. Hopefully we have some wins to celebrate with too over the next couple of days. Uh, right, everybody. Thanks. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we will we will catch you back here next week. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done